I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The Built by Bama online podcast presents Daybreak for Wednesday, April the 22nd, 2020. Travis Ryer, senior analyst for BOL with you here on Daybreak three mornings per week. We got a lot to get to on the podcast today. We've got NFL Draft Talk on the eve of the 2020 NFL Draft. We'll talk with Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. What a surreal evening it figures to be Thursday night when this 2020 NFL Draft gets underway. Virtually, we're going to have a draft this time around. Talk about intrigue. Talk about interest. Talk about eyeballs that in addition to your typical NFL draft crowd that you have on an annual basis, just folks trying to see how the NFL is going to pull this thing off should be a very fascinating Thursday evening in a lot of ways. Certainly Alabama going to be well represented once again in round one, the Crimson Tide aiming at some not only program records, but perhaps some SEC records when it comes to the NFL draft. And probably most notably, those six first-round picks that the University of Miami produced back in 2004, that is that is within sight of this Alabama draft class. When you look at Tua and you look at Jedrick Wills, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs III, Xavier McKinney, and perhaps Trayvon Diggs, could be a six, could be a six-pack of Alabama players. That would tie Miami all-time for first-round picks in a single draft. But some other topics that we'll get with Chris Hummer on coming up a little bit later in the podcast. We'll ask him if there's another league out there, potentially, because we're we're 13, 14 years into this thing now with the Southeastern Conference just absolutely dominating the NFL draft, especially where round one is concerned. Is there a conference out there that perhaps at some point could threaten the SEC? Uh, in terms of its dominance in the NFL draft. We'll also ask Chris, if you had Tua and you had Joe Burrow and you had Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields all in a draft together, perhaps even this draft, how would you rank those four quarterbacks for this NFL draft? We'll also get with Chris on Alabama's most undervalued draft prospect, heading into the selection process, and also the SEC's most undervalued prospect and we'll close things out with Chris by talking about the SEC's top Heisman Trophy candidate for the 2020 season if you subscribe to BamaOnline.com you know on Tuesday I made the case for Jalen Waddell the junior wide receiver kick return specialist uh, as Alabama's top Heisman candidate for what we hope is the upcoming season kind of going to have to ride on that all-purpose multi-purpose sort of platform And it's been tough for wide receivers, kick returners, for about the last 25 years or so. It is obviously a quarterback award, but we'll get get Chris's thoughts on a couple of those topics where the Heisman Trophy for 2020 is concerned. We do have some housekeeping to get to on the podcast this morning, as you know by now. Kyra Lewis Jr. makes it official in announcing that he will stay in 
the 2020 NBA draft. The Kyra Lewis era at the University of Alabama ends after two productive seasons. Kyra, based on just about any mock for this upcoming draft that you look at, projects as a mid to late round first first round pick. And so certainly the sensible move for Kyra Lewis Jr., who, as we know, actually reclassified and entered Alabama uh, in what would have been or should have been probably his senior year of high school. So Kyra essentially uh, a one and out, one and done, although he did get two years of SEC basketball under his belt. With Kyra moving on, you're still wondering about John Petty Jr. Uh, Petty, most recently, in talking with a hometown television station up there in Huntsville, hinted at the possibility of coming back for another year. Now, Nate Oates on Tuesday, he did appear on the University of Alabama-affiliated podcast with Roger Hoover. Uh, Still seemed to be some uncertainty there uh, with John Petty. Uh, I thought Oates was pretty clear in his thoughts that Herbert Jones uh, would likely return for his senior season at the Capstone. Uh, And then also a revelation from Nate Oates that Alex Reese, the post player, going to need hip surgery, it looks like. So some news from that appearance from Nate Oates on Tuesday from the basketball, men's basketball perspective. And you start moving forward now. We've talked about here on the podcast. You've read it. Charlie Potter's outlined it for you there on BOL. Kind of what's next uh, for Alabama men's basketball. And Javon Quinterly going to be a big part of that. No doubt about it. Uh, Javon with the – was that a um, was that a meme or was that an emoji? Is a car key – what is that? I don't know what that qualifies for. Either way, Javon with the uh, with the uh, the illustration of a car key, essentially saying the keys to the rig known as Alabama men's basketball apparently have been turned over to the Villanova transfer in Javon Quinterly. You also had in the midst of what was really that was that was Gronk Palooza yesterday, wasn't it? On Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon, man, the bottom fell out with the news that Rob Gronkowski, who sat out a year in retirement in 2019, the four-time All-Pro tight end for the New England Patriots, sits out a year, and then Tuesday afternoon we learned that the Patriots have traded Gronk to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, where he'll be reunited with quarterback Tom Brady Immediately, if you've covered Alabama, you're an Alabama fan, some of your first thoughts go to O.J. Howard and what this means for O.J. moving forward as a Tampa Bay Buccaneer. Because with Gronk coming in there, you have three tight ends on that roster now that are sort of viewed as starter caliber. It wasn't the best of 2019s for O.J. Howard. So this is a big year coming up for O.J. This is a money year. When you start looking at that second contract, for O.J. Howard. So that will be interesting to see how that plays out in Tampa Bay. But sort of overshadowed by all that were these rule changes, uh, amendments, adaptations, I guess you could say, to various rules for NCAA football beginning with the 2020 season. Uh, One of the things we saw on Tuesday, the targeting ejection will no longer result in the offending player Uh, being forced to sort of take that walk of shame from the sideline to the locker room right in the middle of the game. They're going to allow the 
uh, player that's been ejected to stay on the sideline with the team for the duration of the game. You also saw that replay reviews moving forward are going to be limited to two minutes max. Now, the interesting aspect of that uh, part of the announcement from the NCAA on these rule changes was that the NCAA really buried the lead for that one, especially if you're an Alabama fan, because moving forward in situations where teams are coming out of a replay review and it's a live ball situation and let's say there's just a couple of seconds left in a half into the second quarter, into the game, into the fourth quarter. Uh, in a live ball situation where the clock is set to restart on the ready for play by the referee, there will now be required three seconds on the clock or more to get the ensuing play off. And that resonates with Alabama fans because certainly the end of the first half back in November of the Iron Bowl down on the Plains, if that rule's in place in November, Auburn isn't able to get off that field goal there late in the second quarter, which proved big, proved kind of big in a 48-45 Auburn win. But the NCAA kind of buried that one a little bit, didn't they? In that replay review time limit section of those rules, uh, rule change announcements on Tuesday. Also, what you're going to see beginning in 2020 and this is going to be this is going to be an administrative nightmare for uh, a lot of college football teams and I think Alabama is certainly going to qualify moving forward as far as duplicate numbers go teams will be allowed just two players or two numbers that can be duplicated and that's kind of big because when you look at Alabama's roster right now you've got two number ones Ben Davis, Tyrell Shavers, two number twos, Keelan Robinson, Patrick Sertan II, two number threes, Xavier Williams, Daniel Wright, two number fours, Christopher Allen, Brian Robinson Jr., two number fives, Jalen Armour Davis, Talia Tonga-Vailoa, two number sevens, Braxton Barker, Brandon Turnage, two number eights, Christian Harris, John Mechie, two number nines, Jordan Battle, Bryce Young, two number tens, Mac Jones, Ali Caho. You see where I'm going with this? That's a lot more than two already, and we're just getting into the double digits with the duplicate numbers. Well, the NCAA has announced that just two duplicate numbers will be allowed moving forward. Now, the zero digit will be an acceptable jersey number moving forward. So if you're Ali Caho and you're sharing that number 10 with Mac Jones, and we've seen Ali in number 20 as well, you you gotta you gotta campaign for that O. Ali Ka O, right? Or zero, something like that. Anyway. Let's get into some NFL draft talk with Chris Hummer, the national college football writer for 247sports.com. Always enjoy catching up with Chris. Hope you'll enjoy the conversation. It's coming up next when Daybreak on a Wednesday returns right here on the Built by Bama online podcast. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We are joined now by college football national writer Chris Hummer of our 247sports.com network. Chris, welcome to a Wednesday edition of Daybreak here on the Built by Bama online podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. You know, before we get into some of this NFL draft talk and how it relates to the SEC and the Alabama Crimson Tide, there was something that unfolded a newsy item on Tuesday that I know you took note of uh, in a decommitment from the Clemson Tigers and Dabo Sweeney. Uh, maybe one of the more amazing stats in all of college football right now when you talk about Corey Foreman rated as the number one overall recruit for the 2021 recruiting cycle, uh, the defensive end from the state of California announces that he's opening things back up. And how long has it been since Clemson's had a decommitment, Chris? You know, it's crazy, but December 2016 was the last time Clemson had a decommitment. And that was, that was an academic thing. It wasn't even like a straight up decommitment. Like their last real flip was in 2014. So that's, it's, it's an insane stat. It really is. I mean, when you think about it, um, in the programs that Clemson competes against, you know, this isn't, uh, Akron trying to fend off Toledo or something. You know, this is Clemson recruiting against fellow blue bloods. They're in the mix, especially these days with the Alabamas, with the Ohio States, the Georgias, the LSUs, and to be able to hold things together like they have and really put together some tremendous classes in the process. That's a uh, that's a crazy stat. Speaking of stats, Chris, uh, the SEC looking to extend its dominance in the NFL draft tomorrow night when that gets underway the virtual draft of 2020 um let me ask you this i think we're going on 13 14 years that the sec is kind of owned the first round of the nfl draft in terms of overall picks is there a conference out there if you had to pick another conference that could challenge or put an end to maybe the sec's dominance with all those first round picks and really selections in general which way would you go with that yeah, that uh, you. We talked a little bit earlier about these questions, and this is. I was. I was trying to think about this before we hopped on this call, and it's just. It's an extremely difficult thing because the amount of kind of elite prospects, like the top two, four, seven prospects that we talk about in our rankings that go to the SEC, is forty to fifty percent every year. It's a staggering total. So for somebody to make up that gap, it's going to be really difficult. Um, the West Coast has some elite talents that stay home. I think. Texas is also home to some of those guys, but the Texas kind of tends to feel everybody. So there's nothing there. I ultimately ended on the big 10, just thanks to the presence of three elite recruiting programs. So you have Ohio state, which is recruiting at the same level as Alabama, Clemson, Georgia, uh, everybody else right now. Then you have Michigan and Penn state two perennial top 10 programs. And then you have two teams on the other side of kind of the region or the bracket or conference in wisconsin and nebraska that i believe are capable of having a first round pick every once in a while or multiple first round picks in a year if it's a really good year for that team that's assuming nebraska's rolling right so the big 10 is kind of my guess but like it's i I just i don't see it happening anytime soon yeah i guess you have to look at it too like the big 12 is just 10 teams so you're already short 
some programs there in terms of just overall numbers, but also so many programs in that league cannibalizing, right? Um, the state of Texas. And that's before you factor in Texas A&M being a part of that from the SEC. And of course, Alabama, other programs sort of cherry picking from that, uh, that state as well. Uh, it, it just doesn't add up as much for the big 12 as I guess it does the Big Ten, because the Big Ten, it seems like anyway, Chris, has that ability like the SEC, at least at the top, to go national. You know, Ohio State can go to California. Ohio State can go to Texas. Ohio State can go to Florida, uh, Georgia, uh, and do some real damage. Is that is that part of the thinking, too, when, when looking at the Big Ten? Yeah, I think it's the national recruiting brands that really help those elite prospects that are capable of kind of going to those programs. I. I've seen Ohio State snag a five-star prospect from Texas like four years in a row. So that conference has the ability. Michigan got um, a five-star out of Oklahoma two cycles ago and Daxton Hill. Like Those teams can go out there and kind of approach those players and kind of, from a branding perspective, appeal to younger players. The problem is, and like the SEC is just staggering from a numbers perspective, Mississippi State and Ole Miss are the sixth and seventh best teams in the SEC West year after year pretty consistently. And those schools have both had multiple first-round picks over the last couple of years. So the idea of a Indiana helping to make up that gap in the Big Ten is kind of hard to imagine. But what this scenario would legitimately require is Ohio State, Penn State, Michigan, and maybe Wisconsin just having elite development years and all of those programs kind of producing at once. But the Big Ten is the only one, as you said, from a numbers perspective, that I can even kind of consider making this happen in the current state of college football. Here's the thing about the SEC, too. Like, you grow to expect it in terms of NFL uh, prospect production, I guess you could call it, from LSU, from Alabama, from Georgia, Florida, uh, Texas A&M. Um, you, you expect it from a lot of those programs. And then here comes Kentucky with a Josh – uh, Josh Allen, you know, yeah. last year or something is a top 10 pick. So, and it's similar to, to, to what Ole Miss and Mississippi state, uh, have done in the past. Jeffrey Simmons of Mississippi state, um, Montez Laramie Tutsil. The same cycle. Yeah. They also had the yeah. safety that went to the Raiders. So like they had three last year in the same cycle. Yeah. And that, that's the, that's the programs. Nobody, no one really talks about, uh, when they talk SEC dominance in this uh, this draft process. Let me ask you this, Chris. Uh, obviously, so much talk going into tomorrow night about a couple of SEC quarterbacks, Joe Burrow and Tua Tagovailoa. But let's put the let's put the the, uh, the the scenario out there where let's say Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields were also draft eligible this year, and you had these four quarterbacks. Together, First of all, it'd be interesting if Lawrence and Fields were in this draft, you'd really wonder about whether or not Tua would have went back to school for another year. But let's assume, let's put it out there that you've got those four quarterbacks that are draft eligible today. How do you rank them right now, Chris? Burrow, Tua, Lawrence, and Fields. Like without another year of college for... Uh, without Fields. another year and you're, a, you're an NFL team on the clock Thursday night. Who you, who, how are you? How do those line up on your big board today? Uh, okay. 
that kind of changes my mind. I was thinking um, just for the future. Um, I would still go Trevor Lawrence one. Uh, don't at me, folks. Uh, <laughs> I honestly, I think if realistically, if we're talking future potential and I'm banking my franchise around somebody, it would be Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Tua, and then Burrow. Really? So Burrow fourth in that, even with the injury concerns and the history to Tua, you have uh, Burrow. But interesting, you've got the younger guys one, two in that four. You you really like the upside. And I guess um with Lawrence and Fields, you know, Lawrence has been dinged up a little bit, probably more so during that freshman season. He took that big, big shot against Syracuse basically the week after Kelly Bryant left the team. Um, but but you like, you know, you like the the, the younger guys more so than the, the guys that we're expecting to hear uh, early on on Thursday night. That's interesting stuff. Let me ask you this about from the Alabama perspective. When you look at this Alabama draft class, Chris, is there – a prospect in this draft from UA that you feel like is perhaps most undervalued in this group. Obviously, um, you know, the, the first round guys have been talked about a lot, but uh, you know, of this group as a whole, is there, is there one of those players that you would point to in terms of somebody's going to get a lot of value for where they're going to get this guy? Yeah, it's, it's hard with Alabama given that so many people are first round picks. I like, I thought about Xavier McKinney first. I think he's the best probably pure safety in this draft. And I think I'll play in the league for a long time, but if we're talking value and the value can come with risk, but Terrell Lewis is kind of the guy I look for, um, look at, I just think he has some elite tools that you can't teach from an edge rushing perspective. Um, the way he bends kind of the way he can get after the passer. He doesn't have elite get off, but he's got really good get off on the line. Um, he's got a really high athletic potential, I think if you're looking for a guy who could unexpectedly blossom into a star, if he has um, some injury luck and he hasn't had much of that in his career, Terrell Lewis is kind of the guy I look at with potentially giving somebody value on day two. Yeah, you talk about a position of value, uh, that designated pass rusher spot. If you can get after the quarterback, uh, that helps you immensely. And then the little bit, unfortunately, that we were able to see Terrell Lewis do that, um, obviously, uh, very adept as a pass rusher. My guy's Anthony Jennings. He's not going to blow your doors off, okay? Um, but for the last three years or so, he has just been rock solid. I kind of look at Anthony Jennings like a poor man's Dante Hightower. You're probably going to be able to play him some inside if you want to play him on the edge some i think someone if he actually does go fourth fifth round like i'm seeing in some of these seven round mocks i like uh i like a team to get a good bit of value out of out of anthony jennings now when we talk about sec prospects in general for this draft is there one player in the league in this draft that you would point to from that perspective that perhaps we're not talking about him enough going into this draft Oh man, I, I was going through the list and I was going through guys I could think of and I ended up writing down like five. Justin Matabuke is the first player who popped up. I like um, him yeah. a lot, man. Yeah. yeah. Love, him. Love him. I've known him since high school. High Disrupted character guy. Dude. Yeah. yeah. Elite athlete, really high motor. I, he can play inside and outside um, in the 3 4 system. I think he could probably play some defensive end in the 4 3 if you needed him to. I think he brings a lot of value. Uh, Jonathan Grenard over at Florida, um, kind of in the Terrell Lewis mode. Uh, he's going to maybe struggle against the run some, but I think he brings 
a lot of value as a pass rusher. Lynn Bowden is, I think, is a guy, if you get the ball in his hands in special situations, can kind of resemble a Randall Cobb in the NFL uh, if you give him a couple years. And then I know we don't shout out punters a lot, but Braden Mann is one of my favorite punters kind of in college football the last five years. I think he'll be a multi-year starter. And I think if he gets drafted in the sixth or seventh round, uh, he'll bring a lot of value. Yeah, playmakers and pass rushers, right? I mean, if you can do those things, whether from the inside or the edge, like the first couple of guys on your list, uh, and then uh, sort of a, a wild card guy. Do you think with Lynn Bowden that being put in the position he was put in uh, for the second half of the season, especially essentially becoming a wildcat quarterback, do you think that benefited his NFL prospects or you think he was maybe hindered by that in terms of the evaluation process? You know, that's a, that's a great question. I, I know like talking to a person or two, he was already considered more of an athlete than a receiver, uh, even after a really strong sophomore year. And like, when we talk about athlete, he's an elite, elite athlete, Yeah, like super explosive, but I don't, I don't, I honestly don't know. I think he showcased a lot of skills that are very valued in the league in terms of missability. That's not a word, but we're going to use it that way and stuff that's going to really apply. But it, I, I don't think he showcased a lot as a receiver that season just because he didn't have the opportunity. And I think he still had questions about that. So I think it's probably about of a, a bit of a wash in that perspective. But at the end of the day, when you saw what he did as an athlete, I think you have to be willing to take a flyer on that kind of, um, dynamicism with the ball in his hands is kind of how I end up looking at the season. I'm going to go a little off script with you here because we're talking about undervalue. And for me, I got to thank running back when I hear that certainly in the national football league, uh, that position is very much undervalued or devalued. It's become better NFL player, better NFL career. I guess we could say Clyde Edwards, Alar. Or DeAndre Swift, the LSU back or the Georgia back? Who you got there? That's a great question. Um, I think DeAndre Swift's physical tools pop a little bit more. I also like the fact that he received probably less touches in college. But there's just, I don't know, there's something about Clyde Edwards Hilaire. He reminds me of, it looks a little bit like Darren Sproles, uh, from what I remember. Kind of a guy, super small, legs move quick. Just has insane ability to kind of stop and start in the open field. I just have to think he might not be a feature back, but if you're talking about somebody who can help you out on third down, you're talking about somebody who can block, you're talking about somebody who can really catch the ball out of the backfield. I feel really strongly about Clyde Edwards Hilaire's fit in the NFL for a long period of time. I think DeAndre Swift has a higher ceiling, but I feel safer getting Clyde Edwards Hilaire in the second or third than I would reaching for DeAndre Swift in the first. This dates me a little bit because this guy right now is 49 years old, but it's hard for me to watch DeAndre Swift and not think of another former Georgia Bulldog, and he was a first-round pick uh, back in the, gosh, I guess this was the, the early 90s now, 1993, Garrison Hurst the former Georgia running back. I see some some of that in DeAndre Swift. I, I like Clyde Edwards-Alaire, too, as a, the better pro. I, I, the comp I would make there is maybe Maurice Jones-Drew. That's probably the Jacksonville Jag just coming out in me. But um, that's going to be fascinating to sort of watch those two guys uh, and, and see exactly how it sort of plays out for them at the next level. As we get out of here on a Wednesday edition of 
daybreak. We're joined by Chris Summer, national college football writer for us there at 247sports.com. I wrote about this from the Alabama perspective on Tuesday on BamaOnline.com. I designated my pick for Alabama's top Heisman Trophy candidate in 2020. If you look at the SEC and with so much star power leaving the league, right now, assuming and hoping we have a 2020 season, who would be your pick, Chris, as the SEC's top Heisman Trophy candidate for the upcoming season? Yeah, I was I was kind of looking through that a little bit, and my first thought was whoever ends up playing quarterback at Alabama, at Mac <laughs> Jones or Bryce Young. Honestly, that was that was really that was the first yeah. thing. Yeah, I just think with those receivers and the offensive line that returns, whoever steps into that system is going to throw for four thousand yards and be really successful if they're healthy. <laughs> and given that they play at Alabama, they're going to be in the mix. Uh, two guys that I also thought about a little bit that I think are more under the radar are Kellen Mond and Kyle Trask. I think they're about around 50 to one. And if I was a betting man, uh, I might take a flyer on those two. Cause I think both of those programs and both of those quarterbacks are going to be in position this year to make runs that people might not expect. What about Jamie Newman, Georgia, if not for this pandemic situation? If he had had the typical offseason, spring, those type of things, transitioning into that job at Georgia, would he be among your potential picks, or could he still might be? Yeah, I mean, Jamie Newman might be. Um, yeah, I'm really, I'm really hesitant to kind of jump on that, kind of given some of the factors you mentioned. But I did like them bringing in Todd Munkin to kind of run that offense. I think it's going to open up things a little bit. I, I don't. I don't really quite, I'm going to be honest, I don't quite get the Jamie Newman love affair. Uh, I know PFF has him really high, but I, I remember talking, I was working on something about Wake Forest um, last season, and I was talking to a coach that had just played them and kind of schemed up for him. And, like, he was complimentary of Jamie Newman. But he also said it was, like, he wasn't somebody that blew him away and somebody he thought really kind of transcended the offense in a lot of ways. And Maybe that doesn't matter if you go to a place like Georgia with the talent that Georgia has around uh, the quarterback. Jake Fromm wasn't a transcendent talent in any way. But I don't, I don't see Jamie Mer- Newman emerging as kind of a superstar in college football next season. Perhaps I'll be wrong about that, and perhaps this new system, which is less zone read heavy, will kind of unlock him a little bit. But he's, I, I'm definitely in kind of wait-and-see mode with Jamie Newman in that way. My Alabama choice, I went against the quarterback position. I know better. I know better than to do that, Chris. I mean, just look at the the outcome each and every year. It's a quarterback. We know that wins the Heisman Trophy. I went with Jalen Waddell, and I'm running him on that Desmond Howard 1991 ticket. How about that, Chris? <laughs> I, I got Jalen Waddell running on the Desmond ticket as that kick returner, punt returner, wide receiver, did a little research on Desmond Howard's stat line from 91. Pretty crazy. You know, Go ahead. Go ahead. It's funny. Like, I, I completely – I'm fine with that because if you look at Jalen Waddell's punt return numbers last year, yeah. they were just insane. Like, he he was better than everybody the last 15 years by, like, three yards a return. That's how good he was as a returner last season. And if Saban kind of lets him get full reps there and he gets four or five touchdowns, Plus, doing what he does as a receiver, I have no problem considering Jalen well, that's and, I, and they cut him loose on kickoff returns down the stretch last season, too. And you saw what happened at Auburn with the 98-yard return for a touchdown there. I think if, yeah, I agree. If you let him return punts and kickoffs, 
with what he can do at the receiver spot. And maybe you use him in some other ways. You hand him the football a little bit. You know, he's kind of that all purpose guy uh, that you could get creative with if you're uh, Steve Sarkeesian. That, that's my guy. I, that, I'm just on record. I got Jalen Waddle from the I Alabama. Like and the funny thing is, 101 right now in Vegas. Sorry. I just want to say the funny thing is we might get two of those guys kind of in contention two years in a row because I really like Derek Stingley in 2021 to kind of be a guy who pops oh, up unexpectedly. Charles Woodson. Yeah. Another, another Michigan candidacy potentially there with uh, just Charles Woodson instead of Mich- Desmond, right? Michigan just with the special exemptions. In the <laughs> yes, that's always what LSU and Alabama have strived to be, Michigan South. There's <laughs> Well, hey, Chris, as always, we appreciate the time here on the podcast. Great stuff. Great stuff, as always, for us there at 247sports.com. Enjoy the draft, Chris. We'll catch up soon. Sounds good. Thanks so much. There he goes, Chris Hummer, National College Football Writer for 247sports.com. Thank you so much for joining us on this Wednesday edition of Daybreak. Have a great rest of your day. We'll catch up with you again and on Friday. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.